If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 1 through to 16. And this is what the word of the Lord says. As a prisoner, Ephesians chapter 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, quoting Psalm 68 verse 18, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions, speaking here of Christ? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and listen to this, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is the goal of our Christian life? What is the purpose? What is the telos of our Christian life? The Apostle Paul will have us believe that in the particular scripture that I've just read this morning, that the purpose could not be anything less than to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What on earth would that mean? The Apostle Paul would say to us elsewhere that the purpose of the Christian life is to grow up in Christ. You know, we all grow older. We have been born to grow. It makes natural sense. And when growth is stunted physically, we recognize that something is not right. We are, however, as Christians, challenged on this very idea of growth. Maybe it comes from uh, some of our own experiences in the church growing up. Uh, I grew up in a culture in South Africa of tent meetings. Does anybody relate to that? Uh, okay. Uh, and, uh, 
these tent meetings usually were held where we would bring an evangelist. And the evangelist's responsibility and task was to preach the gospel good news. It was, it was foundational in my life. It was wonderful to see how in the simplicity of the spoken word, very oftentimes these men would do nothing more than just, uh, just share the gospel in its simplicity, how God would transform lives. But as a part of that experience, I think, I caught this idea that the purpose of the Christian life is simply about that moment and that decision to the neglect of what God's ultimate purpose is. Let me put it to you in a different way. Listen, conversion or belief in God is an essential and a great and important decision in all of our lives. But it is not the sum end of God's desire for us. It is the beginning of a great plan, a great life that the Apostle Paul defines in the following way. A life that is worthy of a calling. You see, when we diminish that God not only saves us, but saves us into a particular life that, according to the Apostle Paul, is a life defined as one that is growing, then we miss out on the gift of God in our life to bring forth within us that which only He can do through His Spirit. Many people will ride the Christian identity train, and they will say, I am a Christian, whether by confession, by creed, or by birth, and assume that by that very confession alone, God's work in them is done. Could I say this to you? That you do not mature by simply growing old. You mature only by a response to the work of the Spirit of God in and through your life. The question that we must answer this morning is simply this. Have I grown in my faith and my trust of Jesus Christ? Am I a different person than when I first began this journey? I don't want to put too much emphasis on a crisis moment, though I would also have to say this, that I believe wholeheartedly that God can change lives in an instant. But what God does and what He desires is a personal transforming relationship with Christians, a relationship that grows us up, not into just older, wiser sages who understand theology and the Bible, but into the very person of Jesus Christ. We are called and saved to grow. We are called and saved to mature. We are challenged by the text this morning to consider that the purpose of our Christian life is not simply to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but to allow that very acknowledgement to grow up in us the very desire and the very person and character and nature of Christ. For Paul, his conversion, as you know, was dramatic. I mean, not many of us can parallel or compare to his dramatic conversion experience. A, uh, a, 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 a zealous Pharisee, a persecutor of the followers of Jesus, on his way to a city to do nothing less than to, to squelch the uprising that these Christians have created, is arrested by Jesus Christ and thrown off his horse, and he is changed and transformed. In fact, uh, it's this very same Paul who speaks to the Corinthians and says this, brothers and sisters, when addressing their problems, he says, I, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Listen to what he says, mere infants in Christ. 
I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. The Apostle Paul, as dramatic as his conversion experience would be, do you know, spent years upon years uh, waiting and listening and growing and living this life. What we have when we read the epistles is maybe a snapshot, and we don't see all of what happened in the Apostle's life, but what he speaks of to the Corinthians is this, that they have been saved, but they have somehow not entered in to the life that God has wanted for them. Can at least one of you smile? Jobin, would you smile with me this morning? I think that this is a critical message. You do know that as a church, we are desiring to make sound decisions about our future. We are a blessed church, a thankful church. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to not be thankful and to focus on what you don't have? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever noticed how easy it might be for us as a church to say the following? We may say, we're a small church. We may say, we don't have, you know, I went to a large church in the city. I'm not going to say who it is, but it's in the north. And I opened their bulletin. This was a real spiritual exercise for me. Don't think bad of me, but I didn't come to church here when I was on vacation. I went elsewhere. My wife, on the other hand, didn't go, so pray for her. But I I went. (laughs) And I opened the bulletin, and I saw the budget for the church, the, the giving, much like we put in our church. And what they were taking up in one month was significantly more than all we take up in an entire year. I quietly left. Great service. Anointed. And as I left, I looked at those numbers and I thought, my goodness. I mean, when you compare, it doesn't look like much. You know, and, it, and it's easy for me as a pastor to look at our church and say, you know what, we, we don't have as much as someone else. We, we don't have the great programs necessarily. We don't have as much financial resources. But you know what the gift of this life of growing in Christ is, is that as we mature, we, we become thankful people. Can I just say that one of the greatest gifts of a maturing person is a person that is gra- grateful. And that gratitude is not necessarily contingent just upon when things go well. I think God wants to deliver us, as, as Stephanie has said this this morning from a, a gratitude that is based upon providence and receiving. But the kind of gratitude that matures in us is the kind of gratitude that says, it's not contingent upon what is done for me, but it is contingent upon who knows me and who I know. And there's something that shifts within the maturing person that makes us in all seasons of life people of incredible gratitude. You know, I love, this is a sidebar, by the way, I love Thanksgiving. I I think we have much to be thankful for. And don't you think we have a great display here this morning? I love this. Thank you, Shelly. This is fantastic. You've got my favorite. I I love avos. I mean, I, I just, people get grossed out by that, but I just cut them up and just put salt and pepper on them and eat them like that. Does that gross you out? They are fantastic. I used to be allergic to bananas. I don't know if anybody else was ever allergic to bananas. This is not in my notes, but wow, what great preaching. 
I used to be allergic to bananas. Now I no longer are, and thanks be to God. What a great fruit. Uh, you know, there, there is ways in which, there's in ways in which, in my life, I neglect the simple things oftentimes because I'm so discontent with everything. I'm so wanting more. I'm so not where I want to be. And so my whole disposition consistently is need driven. I need more to be more happy. The truth be told is that the gospel liberates us from this false sense of want. And it says to us, we are a community defined by deep gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has called us into a life that is remarkably different, distinctive, qualitatively more than just the life that some of us may settle for. And so, my friends, let us become people who mature in our Christian faith so as to appropriate this great gift of Jesus in us. Our salvation is significant. It is God's grace given to us, but it is a starting point to a life worthy of the calling. So this morning, I want to speak very quickly on three themes. First, how maturity happens according to the text. Secondly, if you're taking notes, who makes it happen? Who's the catalyst? And third, what maturity looks like. Maturity, first of all, according to our text in verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Here's my first point to you. How? What is the context for maturing? Simply put, the Apostle Paul is saying this. Maturity takes place within the ordinary human relationships, not apart from it. Maturing, Christian maturing, takes place within ordinary common relationships. Now, in the day of the Apostle Paul and the early church, there was a sect or a belief system that was brought about by Gnostics. Gnostics, with their pronounced emphasis on divine insight and knowing, did the following. They separated the spiritual from the physical, so much so that they considered it to be opposing one another. Do you know... That Christian spirituality never seeks to discount the ordinary human flesh from our entire being. We do not separate the spiritual from the physical. Yet somehow this very Gnostic influence is a part of our culture. We think that God only is interested in transcendent experiences. We think that God is only encountered in the mystical. That God is somehow in the other place and we are in this place. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He says, listen, you're maturing, you're calling, your spirituality is uniquely tied into everything that you are. It is manifest and it is formed in the very order common everyday experiences of life. It is in your physical day-to-day experience of life and community in which you are being formed and which in which you are being matured. You know, people that are Gnostic at heart separate the spiritual to the point where they can be incredibly spiritual on the one hand and on the other hand be the most mean people you've ever met. Do you understand That this spirituality that the Apostle Paul speaks about, this calling is one that requires others in order for us to grow. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, you know, if maybe it'd be easier to be a Christian if you didn't have to live with other people? (laughs) 
I'd be the greatest Christian. That's just not true. Uh, you, know, you know how I make this point, of course, is, is that in the verse itself, it says, you know, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. Have you tried to be humble on yourself, by yourself? Be gentle. Have you tried to be gentle by yourself? That's just weird. Maybe you, you hug a teddy bear. I don't know. But this, this doesn't happen. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Everything that he describes as the virtues here about the called life are virtues that we establish in relationship with others. And I want to be very more specific than that. It is specifically formed in the community of believers. Let let, let me put it to you this way. And, 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 And this all relates, I hope. The reason why our young people should marry a Christian person who loves Jesus is because it is very hard to live in a relationship that is not mutually serving the same purpose. It is very hard to live in a relationship that is not ultimately desiring the same outcome. You know what the Apostle Paul would have us believe? He says, the reason you're on Christian community because ultimately the prayer that I have for you is that you would be so united, your purpose are the same, and though you may be different and even have challenges, doesn't bearing with one another say this, that someone is going to test your patience? Does not these very great Qualities described here suggest that sometimes relationships are hard. But what he is saying is, it is possible in the community of faith to grow up and mature because you desire the same thing and you all have been called by the same God and you all have the same faith and you all have been baptized in the same way. When your purpose in a relationship is ultimately the same, it is easier to navigate challenges. When your purpose in a Christian community is unified, when our goal is the same, it is easier for us to disagree. And it is more formative to our spirituality to do so that within the community so that we may truly mature. Dare I say this morning... That the reason Christians do not mature is we forsake the gift of Christian community to the formation of our spiritual lives. It's awfully presumptuous to think that somehow when I become a Christian, I have it all together and I can do it on my own. My friends, the scripture profoundly challenges any individual spirituality that both separates the spiritual spiritual from the ordinary and both separates the spiritual from the community. This spiritual growth is not disembodied spirituality. There's many forms of that today. It's not going to take place outside of our relationships with one another. More significantly, spiritual growth takes shape within the Christian community. But not only is this how or the context within which spiritual growth takes place, but I want you to notice in verse 4, 5, and 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all in, and in all. What is the operative word? One. 
Not only is the context for spiritual growth community and Christian community and relationships, but the, the, the defining mark of this kind of growth is unity. You know, in verses 4 through 6, which I just read for you, it's kind of like a creedal confession of faith. There cannot be any uncertainty that the common theme that is repeated over and over is again unity expressed in the word one. The Ephesian church, just so you know, comprised Jews and Gentile converts. In fact, in Ephesians 2 verse 11, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Let me see if I can find it. Maybe I should have had it before. I got it. Ephesians 2 verse 11, this is what it says. Therefore remember that you formerly, speaking to Gentiles who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, the Jews that are becoming current converts. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me put it to you, to, to you in a different way. The point that is being made here is that the Christian gathered from different cultural backgrounds are all saved by the same God in the same way. And that if unity is to be the context which in maturity takes place, then it is important for a Christian to realize that God has called and saved them and that their status as a Christian does not put them in a superior position over anyone else, neither does it put them in a subjective position under anybody else, but because of how God saves us as human beings, all all fallen, all undeserving, we are all children of the living God. I don't know if this truth can be made more powerful in my speech this morning, but can I say this to you? The church ought to be a place where nothing says this more strongly, that we are all part of the same family, united by the God who is one. There ought to be no distinctions made here based on economic status, based on giftedness, based on color, creed, nationality. There ought to be no distinction made here. And for if such distinctions are made, then we forsake what Paul is saying to us, that unity is possible only in as much as we accept that in Christ God receives us all the same way. This God invites every person here this morning into something that is far greater than just one. He invites us into a community in which we ought to live in ways that are distinctly different to what the world says and how the world defines value. There are very few places you can go and experience that you are not judged in one way or another. Our young ladies... I mean, how tiring is it to be faced with images of what you ought to look like every day of your life and how sad it is that you buy into the lie that God has not made you perfect in His own image. You see, culture is not going to offer you the true value that God gives to each and every one of us. 
Culture is not going to remove. Society is not going to be able to, 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 to remove from you this deep sense of unworthiness that so many of us carry around with us. You see, nothing speaks to a greater value and a greater God than a God who says, I don't care whether you are from the tribe of Israel or whether you are Gentile or Samaritan, you are my children. There is nothing more accepting than the grace of God. There is nothing more evening in our spirits and in our life. That's a Terrible use of that word, I know. Please don't hold it against me, English scholars. But I have to say to you, there's nothing that reorganizes my insights more than recognizing that this God has saved me and has called me worthy. And he does the same for you. Unity within the church is often elusive. It is something that that is often absent. But can I say this morning that here in our community of faith, as we recognize who Jesus Christ is, that it needs to be said from this pulpit that we do not make no distinction based on your differences. We do not devalue you. We do not seek to treat you any less or more than we ought to treat one another. So the context for this growth is community Defining characteristic of this growth is unity. But who enables such growth? Who makes this possible? Who is the catalyst? The scripture tells us in verses 7 through 10, as it quotes Psalm 68, that it is the ascended one who gives gifts to the church. It is Jesus Christ, the ascended Christ, who enables such growth within us. If you read that verse, you would find it a little bit troublesome. In fact, if you looked at it very closely, depending on the translation you use, you would see that it's in parentheses. Uh, It is in parentheses because the editors of the New Testament, when they looked at this particular scripture, could not quite understand why the apostle or the author uh, of the letter of the epistles included it. They had trouble with it, and I kind of like the reality that they had trouble with understanding it, because I think so do I. And I know that many scholars, as I researched this particular scripture, struggled with it. But the context, and maybe this is helpful for us this morning, and hopefully it would make a strong point, is Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, there is an image behind this particular scripture. The image goes something, something like this. When a king goes into battle... The king would go down into battle to fight the enemy. If the king was successful, to him belonged the spoils of such a victory. The spoils would often include people, captives, and also material wealth and possessions. Upon returning to the nation or the people, this king would enter in, maybe on a horse, to the applaud of people celebrating his victory. Kind of like if I was to draw out a movie just to wake up anybody under the age of 25. Um, The gladiator scene when the emperor returns. I know, I like gladiator too much. 
when the emperor returns to the applauding crowds who really doesn't want to applaud. But in this case, the image is of a king returning and people applauding as he returns. And this is what the king would do. Would do. This is historical, historically proven. The king would throw from his also his carts, his people would throw the spoils and he would give gifts to the people, making them participant to the victory that he has just experienced. The imagery is very helpful for me because I think it speaks to what Paul is driving at. That Jesus Christ, incarnate, deep theology here, came into this world to overcome Satan's sin and all his principalities. That when he did so, by his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he is the one that is able to set captives free those who are bound by sin, of which I have been one. Those who cannot get out of the kinds of circumstances that they find themselves in. Those who are truly powerless, which includes all of us. He is able to not only set captives free, but he is able to give gifts to people. And in the scripture, he does not just give general gifts. He gives specific gifts. Gifts in the form of people. People called to equip the people of God. For what? For good service. To what end? To know God and to be unified. To what end? To mature and to grow into the fullness of God. It is Jesus Christ, the ascended one, who empowers the church to mature into the very fullness of Christ. He gives the gifts. Stay with me now because this is going to be really important. He gives the gifts according to the scripture of apostles, of prophets, of evangelists, of pastors, of teachers, to do what? To equip his people. Listen, here's the poor translation. Here's the poor interpretation of the scripture. We read the scripture and we go, oh, Jesus has gifted only certain people. And therefore, by virtue of that, either we must exalt certain people, which some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers love. Love to be exalted. My brother was telling me a story about a friend of ours that grew up in South Africa. He says, Stu, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden this guy is such a high-ranking, prolific evangelist that he has bodyguards walking around with him. I said, bodyguards? He says, yes. He says, wherever he goes, he has a bodyguard. He doesn't get his own water. He doesn't go to the washroom by himself. I said, are you serious? He says, and I said, is this the guy you're talking about? He says, yes. Listen, man, I know God can redeem anybody. But when I heard this, I thought there's something wrong with this perspective of the called. You know how the, you know how the passage begins. We are all called of God. Every Christian. When Jesus equips the church and gives specific gifts to specific people, the gifts are given not so as to exclude others from responding to the call, but the gifts that God gives of people in the church is given for this purpose, to equip us so that we would do the works of service. To equip us so that we would do the work of ministry. Listen, I did not hire Jeff so that Jeff can do all the work. The way the church grows is not hiring more professional staff. We just can't do that. Do you get where I'm going with this? 
The way the church's ministry is multiplied in the world is not by paying professional people to do the work. The way is to understand that the maturing of the body of Christ leads to a body empowered to serve the world. The questions we must ask is, am I being equipped and am I serving? And do not limit that to what happens here, but ask yourself, am I serving the kingdom purposes through my daily life? Don't be Gnostic. Don't consider that when you serve in the church, that is what matters. I am, I am pushing strongly against that. Listen, I want you to be involved if you can be involved in some of the ministries we have here. But please, my friends, do not think that that is what defines the calling that God has placed upon you. Prophets, preachers, teachers are on the same even playing field as you. Please, I was born stew, not pastor. And I've been saved by the grace of God just like you. Don't give me this undue respect and put me in a certain place so as to say only certain people are called of God. God calls all Christians to respond. And he asks the question, are you living worthy to the calling? You know, for us as a community of faith, it is critical times that we live in. We, we as a community desire to honor the Lord. And I, and I have to say this to you. The God who through Christ gives gifts to the church uh, makes the following point. That the church has what it needs to mature. I'm getting tired. Really tired. Not right now, but I'm getting real tired. Of people who think of the church as anemic. I'm getting real tired of people who speak of the church as something that, 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 that you know, man, it's, it's, just not, it's just not good. I'm getting real tired of that. You know why I'm getting real tired of that? I'm getting tired of that because it diminishes the significance of God working in lives. I'm getting tired of it because when we start to be a people that mature in our faith, we start to recognize that, folks, we are not alone here. It's not just you and me trying to make this thing happen. God is working alongside of us. When we start to mature in our faith, the church becomes a beautiful place filled with incredibly broken people. Can I just say that and can I get an amen? The church becomes a beautiful place filled with people who are as ordinary as each and every one of us here, that we have struggles, we have pains, we have problems, we have challenges, we have setbacks, but we are united by the Spirit of God towards one end to become all that God wants us to be. Are you growing? Let us work against this spiritual Gnosticism that somehow we don't experience God in the ordinary. I, I, I don't want to project to you and, and support this false belief that has become pervasive. You know that people seek the spiritual today, of course, not just Christians. Let's not be naive. The difference today in our culture is that people are not turning to the church for that spiritual need. But you know how people are generally seeking the spiritual? Through transcendence. Through disengagement. They really are asking for escapism. They're really saying that I don't think that the true peace that God can bring and the true purposes of God can be manifest in the real ordinary of my everyday existence in life. Let me ask you a question. 
what leads to your greatest growth? What challenges you tremendously? My guess is, is that whatever that is, it comes out of relationship with others. My guess is that your deepest need is often revealed in your deepest hurt. My guess is that your deepest need of God is often revealed in your everyday relationships with others. I uh, want to close. And I want to close by reminding us of the ultimate purpose that God has for all of us. The church exists <laughs> to not only see people come to know God, but to have people grow into all that God has desired and made possible. I desire in my own heart to know him, not only academically and theologically, I desire to have a relationship with God. And for some maybe here this morning, that sounds really strange. But my maturing is not that I get to a certain place in my life where I go, I have it all together. My maturing is that I grow closer to him. So close that people around me notice the difference. My friends, and I consider you such, stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lie that the church is not a place in which God is still manifest and working. Stop succumbing to a consumerism that says spirituality is about receiving. For we have been given everything we need. Open your hearts this morning to the God who is present, alive, and here. One of the ways in which we respond as a community of faith here at Skyview in gratitude is by participating in the Lord's Supper. We believe that this is God offering himself to us in the most powerful way through his love and his sacrifice. We believe that as we participate in the Lord's table that he is present with us. We believe that he is gracious and invites all of us to participate. We learn to as we uh, drink and as we eat, remember what he has done, yes. But recognize that he is the ascended one who through his spirit is present here. Some of us need to be reminded that God is with us. For I received from the Lord, says the apostle, what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Don, would you come? And would you prepare your hearts now to participate? And you don't have to be a member of our church. We do ask, however, that you consider the meaning of what you are participating in and respond with faith. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed with your love, overwhelmed with your gifts to us. And against the backdrop of this Thanksgiving season, as we think about all those things that we enjoy, that you have given to us and you bless us with day after day, more than we can even stop and think. It just goes on and on. But against that backdrop, we see the most precious of all, the treasure of your love as it was manifest in your death and resurrection for us. And we are humbled that you would choose us, that you would choose each one of us not just some that are special, some that are maybe more important than others, but you saw in each one of us your image and the humanness that you love that we sometimes can't understand why you would do that. But we thank you. And as we take these emblems of your uh, broken body and shed blood, we are thankful. We pray this in your name.